The entire basis of any successful society is in live and let live. It's in calmly listening to the concerns of others and attempting to reach an equitable compromise. But this is a test the left has repeatedly failed. Their movement has long had a tendency to split the world into us and them. Existing primarily on a policy of divide and rule, while loudly decrying the same trait in others. In identifying itself as the movement of protest, as the vanguard that represents the disenfranchised and oppressed against privileged elites, the left has also ensured that conflict is as essential to its survival as oxygen. A nemesis of some description is an essential component for the self-righteous. What, after all, is Batman without the Joker, or Luke Skywalker without Darth Vader. Elites, institutions and traditions must be continually attacked to feed left-wing activism. But that means that once its enemies have been defeated, new ones must be located. So the left always turns on itself, usually with even more fury than it did on its political opposition. It's a trait that defined the regimes of revolutionary France, Soviet Russia, Maoist China and Khmer Cambodia, which all continued to conjure more and more foes for them to subjugate. This need for continual battle also explains the frequently hysterical pitch of radical activism. Decent human beings become monsters in the left-wing imagination. And monsters must be destroyed. Indeed, the act of killing such ogres transforms those committing the deeds into heroes. The self-image covered in this study is akin to St George slaying the dragon. But the reality is different and considerably less glamorous. The increasing dominance of such thought is exacerbated as an entire generation has grown up in the poisonous climate of political correctness. It's to their enormous credit that so many young people have not just resisted this culture, but have loudly mocked it too. A reaction which has been thoroughly merited. Nevertheless, many have become eager disciples of the creed. A new generation of Mao's little red guards, who are every bit as intolerant as their predecessors. Not only are such traits becoming more common, but the influence of left-wing views in the arts is growing ever more pervasive. In culture, in education and online, the leftist view holds a position of clear dominance. To catalogue said phenomenon would be a Herculean, impossible task. But to verify its existence, one need only dip their toe in the pool of social media. It's not a step that's recommended. The waters are most unwelcoming and teem with social justice piranha, ever poised to sink their teeth into prey in a self-righteous feeding frenzy. And their appetite is insatiable. It's ironic that even as society has moved to the right economically, it has, in stubborn defiance of this irrefutable fact, swung sharply to the left in the philosophical and cultural spheres. 
This process has resulted in an increasingly uncritical acceptance of the far-left position and all its attendant prejudices. The activists of the left are currently wielding an influence disproportionate to their number. And their bullying tactics are paying dividends as otherwise sensible people scramble to apologise and appease the insatiable juggernaut of cultural Marxism. At such stage, one recalls the wisdom of Edmund Burke, who averred that because half a dozen grasshoppers under a fern make the field ring with their importunate chink, while thousands of great cattle reposed beneath the shadow of the British oak chew the cud and are silent, pray, do not imagine that those who make the noise are the only inhabitants of the field. But make noise they most assuredly do. The modern culture is less about having more compassion. It's primarily in advertising it. It could be argued that the real difference between left and right is one of moral posturing versus realistic and manageable solutions, with those opting for the former path sneering at the latter's inferior morality. This trait's become so ubiquitous that even carrier bags advertise their virtue now. And the result is a culture that feels determined to make a spectacle of itself, to shout its agenda at every opportunity, whether in the streets or online. Emotion must now be publicly displayed, must make a song and dance of itself. But this demonstrative behaviour and rising tide of anger bring to mind pre-revolutionary France. That is not a road we should look to take again. The idea of restraint, of the stiff upper lip, widely portrayed as the most admirable trait through the Victorian age, up until the 1950s or early 60s, has melted away and been replaced with a far more strident, demonstrative society. One need only compare the dignity of the Jarrow marches of 1936 with the anti-government protesters of recent vintage to see the transformation that has taken place. The heart should inform the head, but in the realm of politics, it should not rule it. Taking the left-wing stance is, in many ways, resorting to the easy option. It's difficult to thoroughly examine an issue, an attempt, after laborious and rigorous research, to reach a balanced, practical conclusion. Especially if that conclusion is problematic or uncomfortable in any way. But it's simplicity itself to mouth sympathetic-sounding platitudes while being loudly critical of those whose opposition appears to lack compassion. That option then is far more common. But it doesn't follow that it has superior moral or intellectual integrity. Excessive emotive bleating does not strengthen an argument. It obscures it. It buries it in a mound of sentiment that swamps the ability to reach rational and objective conclusions. Emotion has come to dominate the thought processes of the hard left to such a degree that there's simply no room for further debate. The issue is settled. All that's required is to forward the same argument at an increased volume. The political sphere of the far left then is one largely of emotion over reason. More than this, 
It's most commonly expressed in furious resentment. As we sink deeper into a more emotional age, so the rhetoric and activism of the left becomes ever more shrill, ever more strident, and ever more dangerous. Politics should never be personal. Government is ideally a matter of cool, dispassionate and objective calculation. But many on the left prefer to make it an arena of the emotions. They should be reminded that anger and hatred are emotions too. For when an ideology is based on prejudice, directed at scapegoats, filled with resentment and informed by fury, then hatred and retribution will inevitably follow. The left has aimed at protecting the most vulnerable from abuse. But instead, they've magnified that abuse, creating new targets and contributing to an accusative, judgmental society with a predilection for persecution. It should be obvious that the way to combat abuse is not to become an abuser oneself, but apparently it isn't. For all their talk of embracing diversity, many on the left do anything but. They seek to crush diversity and embrace conformity. Diversity is welcomed only when it's cosmetic, when the differences are superficial. Skin tone, body type, sexual orientation and disability. But such tolerance is merely skin deep. And any sort of diversity of thought, any real individuality, is to be legislated out of existence. Many on the left seem to believe themselves free from the faults they are so judgmental of in others. But they are not. They're capable of being just as nasty, venal and petty as anyone. Yet their prejudices are bolstered by an internal morality that convinces them of their superior personal rectitude. This makes them oblivious to how poorly they can behave towards others. It informs and arms them resulting in hair-trigger sensibilities, a propensity to resort to violence, and an utter absence of the shame or contrition which may, in other circumstances, restrain them. Decent and compassionate people can, after all, behave in a vile manner if they're persuaded that it's a rational and justified response. And this is the history of the left in a nutshell. It seems a quandary that the most moral people are also frequently guilty of such dreadful crimes. But the truth is that there's a direct causal link. It's precisely because such people consider themselves virtuous and their opponents irredeemably vile that they can excuse or condone any excesses in dealing with them. Their consciences, moral compasses and ideology are untarnished by even the most repulsive acts. They do not commit atrocities despite being self-righteous. They do it because they are self-righteous. The left has made many valuable contributions to society, and scores of decent people have positioned themselves under its banner. But whatever its merits, the movement has a dark side too. And it is the darkness which has triumphed whenever it has attained a monopoly in the political sphere. 
while the majority of left-leaning individuals were emphatically reasonable and decent, we should not be deceived over the threat posed by the minority. And not just because the moderates tend to express the same kind of hatred as the militants. Extremists only made up small minorities in revolutionary France, Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, Maoist China and Khmer Cambodia, as well as in Syria in the second decade of the 21st century. In every one of those cases, the bulk of the population sought nothing more than comfort, freedom and security. Yet it was the numerically inferior militants that held sway on every occasion. Fanatical minorities drive events. They do so because they care more ardently, more passionately than the majority, who simply want to go about their lives. And because those extremists wield such a disproportionate influence, they need to be vigorously and vocally denounced whenever they rear their ugly and tolerant little heads over the parapet. Their movement has yet to learn, as Burke warned nearly 250 years ago, that its manifesto is one that favours destruction over construction. This failure has echoed down the ages with incalculable costs. The attempts of the hard left to unite societies have always divided them. Plans to socialise economies have always crippled them. Schemes aimed at reducing inequality have always increased poverty. Efforts to consolidate agricultural production have led to severe shortages. And when they have advanced their political ideals, the result has been censorship, oppression, the closing of mines, a precipitous rise in hate fueled accusations and the strangling of democracy and cultural expression. As states have become more left-wing, they have inevitably become less prosperous and less free. Ideology has leaked from the political sphere to take the professional, cultural, social and private worlds too. And there's not a single exception to this pattern to be found in the entirety of human history. I've written an extensive and detailed study of the history of this mindset. It leaves no doubt that the traits which wreaked such havoc throughout history still prevail. That the characteristics that dragged Russia, China, Cambodia and so many other places into the abyss are alive and well and resurgent once more. If we examine the differences between collectivist states and liberal democracies, it helps us understand why there's such hostility to difference of opinion and freedom of speech in the former. For the crises of those states stem from that intolerance. Any forensic study of the left reveals a parade of apparently sensitive and intelligent folk. They're largely well-educated, middle-class individuals with a predilection for poetry who brimmed with compassion. Yet their legacy bears little relation to their self-image. The story of the activist left is one of monstrous arrogance. Of deeply unpleasant people utterly convinced of their superior virtue. Of the most ludicrous theories adhered to with religious fanaticism. Of shameless levels of censorship and propaganda. Of furious iconoclasms and unrestrained cultural vandalism of startling hypocrisy, of double standards, of hatred and intolerance, 
of suspicion and wild conspiracy theories born of hysterical fears, of never-ending feuds, of ever greater restrictions on basic liberties, of violence and persecution, and of oceans of blood. And it is a tale that is far from over. If you'd like to support this channel, please like, subscribe, and think about buying my books. They're called The Tyranny of the Left, and they're available on the links below. Please do feel free to pick them up and let me know what you think. Thank you.